0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Thanks for joining us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh There was a time, uh, I think all of us on the Political Rewind team a few weeks ago, thought that, uh, you know, having to talk much about the coronavirus was uh, in, our, in our past, that maybe every now and then we check back in and uh, see how things were going. But uh, the fact of the matter is there is no question that we are seeing a fourth wave of coronavirus here in Georgia, a new surge. Um, we've seen it in, in, in at University Hospital in Augusta at Memorial Health Medical Center in Savannah, the Southeast Georgia Health System, and uh, up in Northeast Georgia, the hospital system up there, which has always been a hotspot for COVID-19, has surged. Once again, vaccine rates in Georgia remain low compared to the rest of the country. Only 40% of people here have had both of their shots. And across the country, we're seeing... Uh, a surge as well. The country at large is now averaging about 70,000 cases a day. On last Friday, there were 100,000 reported new cases, and the United States has now surpassed 35 million COVID-19 cases, according to the research that Johns Hopkins University has been doing as they track the virus. So um, we're going to start the show by talking about that and uh, have a terrific panel to do just that. It's uh, Tuesdays, which means Tamar Hellerman, senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with me. Tamar, how are you? Are you surprised as I am that COVID-19 is back as the headline story in the news?
0: I mean, yes and no. I mean, you look at how low the vaccination rates are in Georgia, and I guess it always had me wondering when or, or if the, you know, when the spike would come. Um, but at the same time, I think there were a lot of folks, myself included, who thought the worst was behind us and, and was really reveling in the freedom of getting to to go places indoors without a mask.
1: I, I think that you just put it a better way than I did. I'm not naive about this. I realize with a high number of unvaccinated people and this uh, Delta variant uh, spreading, it's not surprising. But I agree. We all had kind of thought the worst was behind us. Um also, I'm also really pleased to have Rene Alegria with us again today. He runs Mundo Hispanico Digital, um, and Rene, we continue to see low vaccination rates among people in the Hispanic uh, community, and efforts to try to increase that are ongoing, right?
2: They are. I, you know, it's it's one of those um, unfortunate hurdles that we're all having to combat. Um, mundo is doing what it does and providing the information that you know we uh we we can it's a moving target with what the latest information is and so it's a it's a journalistic challenge to provide the latest sometimes that actually contradicts what we thought yesterday and you know so that that that's been taught but yes it's uh We're trying to do what we do to get the information into the right hands. And I think everybody in, in, you know, who is responsible in the media business is doing exactly that with whoever their niche audience is.
1: Um, Unfortunately, there are some niche audiences that prefer to hear that the virus isn't A crisis isn't really a problem and that vaccines are uh, perhaps dangerous, uh, but we're glad you're in the niche. that You have the niche audience (laughs) that needs to hear uh, the real facts about uh, the coronavirus and the vaccine. Edward Lindsay's back with us. He, of course, is former Republican legislator from the city of Atlanta and uh, now heads the government affairs practice at Denton's. Edward, the world's largest law firm. And, you know, we're always awfully glad to have you on how are you edward Uh, i'm i'm doing well and and appreciate the opportunity to be here today yeah um van johnson the mayor of savannah is uh with us it's been a while since we've had you on mayor johnson we're awfully glad to have you back i think uh, you know when we've introduced you before i'm not sure that we have uh really uh, given our listeners an opportunity to hear kind of the breadth of your background and experience. Um, you, you're the 67th mayor of the city. Um, you were a radio talk show host, a political commentator. Um, you are a, a, a certified law enforcement a professional. You have experience in law enforcement and in government. And so you come to us with a breadth Of experience and we're awfully glad to have you here mayor thanks for being with us always a pleasure to be with such great minds um let's start with you mayor johnson if i might because you uh you were the first mayor well over a year ago to impose a mask mandate on the city of savannah you didn't lift it until may of this year in fact my wife and i spent a couple days down in savannah at a time when you were just lifting it in the spring. And it was really, uh, I I thought, affirming to see how many people, despite the fact you were lifting the ban, continued in businesses on the street to be wearing masks. And now you've become the first mayor to reinstitute a mask mandate. Tell us why you decided you had to do that. Well, again, thanks for the opportunity. I think that uh, for
3: us, first of all, I'm a little disappointed that you were in my city and didn't tell us that you were here. Um, we <laughs> Red Nonetheless, uh, we always been that this was not going to be about politics. It was not going to be about um, partisan ideals. Uh, it was about science. And so our mantra here in Savannah has been that we will keep the faith, we will follow the science. And so uh, the science dictated that we institute the mass mandate uh, in Georgia uh, last year. It was the science. Um, well after Governor Kemp lifted the capacity limits on May the 1st um, that led us on July the 1st to lift our mask mandate. And now here we are in a situation where our seven-day rolling average uh, has gone up over 100 um, points. Our community transmission index has more than tripled. Um, Our hospitalizations went from four on June the 15th to 129 as of yesterday. And so the science dictates. And again, Savannah, as you know, uh, is a uh, a tourist city. People come from all over the country. It was necessary for us to do weeks,
2: particularly
3: with very uh, poor, in my mind, um, vaccination rates, that we did something to try to temper uh, the spread um, until we can get our vaccination rates up.
1: Um, and, and how you, you, we're, we'll talk about this a little in a little while. One of the things that you said when you issued your mandate was that um, obviously you do not have uh, leadership responsibilities in terms of the Chatham County city of Santa school system. And so uh, you, you essentially said it's school officials who have to tackle that. Right. That's correct. Um, but it was my recommendation on
3: um, on last Monday. Um, that they would really consider, particularly with schools in the city of Savannah's corporate limits, that they would require masks. Um, and the great news was that uh, that afternoon or the next day, um, prior to the CDC's guidance, the uh, Savannah-Chatham school system decided to make masks mandatory. So, um, you know, that was a big blessing for us.
1: Tomorrow,
0: It's going to be interesting to see yeah. how many cities and municipalities across Georgia um, follow suit after what you've done in Savannah. Obviously, uh, we have an indoor mask mandate now in Atlanta, in Athens, Clark County, the, the commission there has indicated they're likely to revive a partial mask mandate. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if we see any any smaller cities uh, start to jump in, uh, or even some of the others that had previously had a mask mandate. It's also interesting to see the reaction from, from Governor Kemp, who's been um, very critical, especially of what Mayor Bottoms has been doing in Atlanta. Uh, the two of them, of course, have uh, more than a tiff, uh, a beef <laughs> that's been ongoing for a long time. But unlike last year, when he went to court to block a lot of these local man- mask mandates, the governor's saying he doesn't have the same authority to override local rules anymore. There was a public health emergency declaration um, that had been in place last year that expired a little o- earlier this summer. Um, and it and so the governor has fewer powers when it comes to combating the the pandemic. So perhaps this is an issue that's going to be playing out more on the campaign trail. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see how many others follow suit in Georgia.
1: We knew yeah, that, Edward. Uh, go ahead, Mayor. I'm just saying
3: we knew that last year um, that you know the courts have held that um, our local cities, and that's why you saw the leadership from Atlanta, you saw it from Augusta, you saw it in Athens. Um, where you saw mayors and, and councils stepping up, um, to be able
1: to protect their communities. Um, Edward, I, I, Tamar makes a point, uh, Governor Kemp, uh, once, um, uh, here in, 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 the Atlanta area, Mayor Bottoms in the city, uh, announced she wanted another mask mandate to be put in place. Uh, Governor Kemp was quick to criticize her, uh. I, to the best of my knowledge, and I may have missed it, and, and Mayor Johnson can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the governor has not gone after him over the latest decision in Savannah, which does, Edward, uh, suggest uh, that there might be some politics at play here. Uh, the governor, uh, it, one of the reasons we might say that is the governor uh, said in his statement about this, why are we turning police into mask cops? Uh, they have enough problems with crime in the city. They don't want to be dealing with... Um, Mask mandates. Uh, is so it's hard not to see some politics in this.
4: Well, I think uh, our, our listeners will be absolutely flabbergasted to believe that a public official, elected public official, would throw uh, be some politics in it that's being made. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just absolutely shocked by the by the uh, <laughs> by the, the thought of that. But the fact of the matter is, there is, you know, yes, there is some policy involved, but there's also some policy. And that, uh, you know, while Mayor Box has been very forthright, it comes to ask, she has not been as, as uh, forthright in stepping up in terms of the crime uh, pandemic that we are also suffering in the city of Atlanta. And that is causing a lot of concerns. And a lot of us uh, who are uh, part of the city of Atlanta would like to see her taking more of a leadership role in our last months regarding the crime issues. But I'd like to put a little bit back to the the real issue here when it comes to this pandemic, which is getting people vaccinated. Uh, whether we put a mandate in place or not, the ultimate question for me is: will it will it tick up uh, the number of people that choose vaccinated? Because uh, a lot of folks, uh, you know, regardless of whether or not a mayor or a city or, or a state imposed a mandate or not, are just frustrated. Uh, we're still in this, particularly given the fact that this update is totally man-made. And what I mean by that is, man, it is made as a result of those people who uh, who do not have a medical reason for not getting met, uh, vaccinated but have simply chosen not to do so. They are in danger uh, for themselves, the people around them, and, and the community as a well. whole. Uh, I'm frustrated. I mean, for instance, you know, on a personal note, I have a mother in a uh, nursing home that had to reimpose very strict visitation rules uh, in part because of an outbreak. And a woman who is suffering from dementia, that's about the worst thing you can do to someone is cut them off from the people that they can actually recognize. And so there's a lot of harm being perpetrated by those folks who are choosing voluntarily without a medical reason not to get vaccinated. And that's where I Hopefully, uh, and I know the mayor is, is is focusing on the vaccination and others as well, but that needs to be our primary focus is getting people vaccinated so that we can all return under some
1: semblance of normalcy. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear uh, about what your mother is dealing with, Edward, um, but thank you for sharing that. It, it emphasizes why vaccines can be so important uh, right now. Um, Renee, weigh in on this. Well, I,
2: you know, it's, it's such a complex issue, um, but ultimately it, it does clear the, the, the way for so many of us who have been vaccinated to feel that frustration, to feel this almost rage of, wait, this is happening because folks chose not to get the vaccine. And here we are, fourth wave this is not going to go away tomorrow. I mean, we, we, we've all gone through that. Remember last year at this time where, you know, okay, maybe by the end of the year we'll get back to normal. Here it is a year later, we're not back to normal. Another variant will will fester and then spill into the populace. You know, it, it's, it's going to be a long haul. And I, I do think that watching our local leaders bicker about mask mandates just ultimately frustrates so many. I mean, parents, folks on my staff, my family, you know, they look at they look at, uh, you know, what what the authorities are, are, are saying and ultimately they have to, you know, bring the decision home. Am I going to send my child to school? Am I going to homeschool my child? Am I going to risk my child becoming a super spreader in an event at school um and these are the hard the hard uh the questions that every American right now is asking themselves at home and uh you know sometimes you you know you you at, personally you take a stock with what you have to do to protect your family. You look up and you hear you know folks again bickering about. Mandates and whatnot, and 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 it just exhausts folks. I think this there was a there was a headline in the New York Times um, mm-hmm. they used the word whiplash, and I think that really for me uh, captured what we're all, what we're going through. Like, okay, this again, and you know, and I I just hope that folks who have not who have chosen not to get vaccinated suddenly see the light of day and understand that it's. Affecting all of us, and you know, like like Ed's story, you know, it this, this is personal all across the board.
1: Tomorrow, um, Matt Kempner, your colleague, uh, had a front page story in the AJC this morning, uh, talking about how companies, major companies in Georgia, were responding to the latest surge. And I think one of the most noteworthy aspects of that story is that your employer, Cox, um, and my former employer is going to require that employees who enter, the, here's how Matt describes it, employees who enter its headquarters and certain other offices will have to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. They're the first company that I'm aware of in Georgia that has decided to take such a dramatic step. Home Depot is going to require all of its employees across the country to be masked in their stores and other locales Um, But they're not moving toward uh, vaccines. But it's going to be interesting to see whether Cox, of course, is a private company, as you well know. Um, And so they have a certain amount of freedom. They don't have uh, shareholders to be concerned about the politics or whatever. Uh, It's going to be interesting if they're on the leading edge of a wave.
0: Yeah, I can't help but wonder if we see more and more employers start to do this. And I, I feel like we're starting to be at an inflection point where you're even starting to see, um, you know, a lot of conservative voices in Washington who might have been, if not publicly hesitant, then just quiet about vaccines or, or in pushing their followers to get that. And you're starting to see people say, like, you know, all right, folks, this is too much. And I wonder if we're going to start seeing more companies, especially in Georgia. You know, it's one thing if all these tech companies in Silicon Valley are doing it. But once we start seeing um, employers, and often it works like a domino effect with a lot of these big companies, they tend to like look around and see what their peers are doing. And so once you start seeing a critical mass move in one direction, um, you start seeing a lot of folks. That's the same with mask mandates, office uh, reopenings, and that sort of thing. So maybe this is the first of many. I, I wonder what we'll see.
1: Um, Mayor Johnson, uh, listeners know that I, in the early morning, I flip among the various cable news channels and uh, we'll try to see what they're talking about. And yesterday morning, I just uh, hit upon a story on CNN where, you know, they were working at the big board, the MAP. And the uh, reporter was showing the red states and the blue states and how that correlated with vaccines and unvaccinated people. And that's a story we've been following, all of us, for some time now. The red states, the pro-Trump uh, voters tend to be vaccinated to a far, far lesser extent than uh, Biden supporters, blue states. But, but, Mayor, I've got to wonder, as as the leader of, of, a, of an important city in this country, at a certain point, do you think it's counterproductive to continue talking about it in terms of the divide between red and blue. In other words, is it really adding any value for us to keep talking about the fact that we know conservatives tend to be less uh, interested in getting vaccinated? What's your take on that?
3: Well, I mean, I found it really interesting. And unfortunately, um, I think that we've politicized uh, this entire issue far more than it should ever be. Um, COVID does not care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, it does not care about who you voted for in the last election. Um, COVID is equal opportunity, and we certainly send our prayers out to Senator Lindsey Graham, and we hope that he uh, is okay. Um, I think he's a believer uh, now, and of course, he's out there um, saying, you know, that if it was not for the vaccine, um, his, his conditions might be a whole lot worse, but um, you know we have to get beyond this whole thing about who it was the fact is that republicans um held the fact that it was because of president trump's warp speed mandate that the vaccines actually came and so now we have the vaccines and they're saying well no i'm not going to get vaccinated i mean you know it's kind of the duplicitous type of uh of mindset that we have that just does not make sense i think we can as a, as a country as we stand for america Journey olympics we have to say, as Americans, we have to get through this. And we know in the southern states, I'm just next to Florida, which over 20% of the COVID cases in the nation are in Florida. Jacksonville is the hot spot, which is just an hour and 45 minutes due south of us. Um, and so we recognize that we all are in this together, and southern states have got to catch up, and we've got to do better, or the southern states will be what will kill America.
4: Ooh. Well, I think the demographics uh, discussions are, are, are pop If they if they focus on getting leaders within that particular demographic group to, uh, to push their, the folks within that demographic group uh, to get back it's, – it's easier for Republicans to –
1: Ed, you're you're um, breaking. Ed, I'm going to, Edward, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we're going to have Sam. We've been having some problems with uh, uh, hearing you clearly, so I apologize for interrupting you. But let's see if Sam can work with you on that. And, and Renee, why don't you pick up uh, while we help uh, Edward?
2: Sure. Look, you brought up the red state, blue state um, dichotomy of how we're, you know, as a country, as a nation, coming together or not coming together to deal with, the, with, with COVID. And I, I do think that at a certain point, you have to call a spade a spade, that there are fundamental differences in ideology and process and policy that are then pushed out. What works better? Blue states right now are doing things that are working better red states right now are not doing as well when it comes to COVID. And that's just a fact. So, you know, we can talk about, you know, we can have these like Kumbaya moments, but we also, there's a, this is a very, very interesting time in the history of our country, right? Where we're going to have to choose different ways, ideology with the steps of our future. And so I think that we do have to acknowledge that and, and, uh, And move forward accordingly. Yes, but Tamar,
1: um, identifying the people who won't get the vaccine uh, as mostly conservative Republicans, Trump supporters, isn't somehow engaging them and giving them the incentive to go ahead and get vaccinated. And that's one of the real problems here, isn't it? There doesn't seem yet to have been any strategy that has helped reach the people who are adamantly refusing the vaccine and we also want to make a a quick note we also know there are people in the medical community who aren't being vaccinated and there's vast numbers of them out there uh, because they're waiting to see uh, 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 FDA's final approval not just the emergency approval for the vaccine so again I ask you know where how do we reach these people
0: Yeah. And I don't know if anyone has an answer. I think there's the fundamental issue that, you know, it's Joe Biden's White House that's quarterbacking all of this. So if it's, you know, if the buck stops with Joe Biden, if it's coming from his people, I think a lot of people in red states are going to immediately kind of turn off their brains and and want to ignore it. I think there's also the knee-jerk reaction of um, kind of day-to-day politics, you know, talking to people like the CDC. Well, last week you said that This wasn't a problem, and today you are. You know, you you lied, or you did this wrong, or and and just kind of explaining to people, no, we just don't know much about this this virus, and it keeps changing. But I'm not sure what needs to be done. It's been interesting to see um, certain Fox News personalities like Tucker Carlson start to change their their tack a little bit, and I'm curious to see how much of an impact that has if they really kind of lean into that message, or if it's more of a one-time thing. Um, and people have talked about this before, but if Donald Trump steps up and talks about this a lot more, not just here and there, um, I think that could make a huge difference. And as you've mentioned, him and his allies really want to protect his legacy about being the one to greenlight Operation Warp Speed and buying all these doses of vaccines ahead of time that have really helped us out. Um, yes, but he's, he really hasn't spent much time and effort pushing his his followers to get vaccinated. So I don't know who's the one that can get through to him, and I, there probably aren't many people who, who could, but um, that, I think, could, could be a huge.
1: Mayor Johnson, before we have to take a break, let me give you the last word before we uh, leave for a second and come back with other, other subjects. Well, it's quite simple. Science does not lie. Science learns. It
3: learns. And so, as it evolves, science learns and it does better. So, I mean, the fact is that the
1: CDC lied. No, they just learned. All right. Mayor Van Johnson of Savannah gets the last word uh, before we take a break. We'll do that right now and come back with a lot more on Political Rewind. Savannah Mayor Van Johnson. Tamar Hallerman, senior reporter for the AJC. Edward Lindsay, former state representative and government affairs head for the state of Georgia. at Denton's is back with us. His phone, we hope, is fixed. And Renee Alegria, the boss man at uh, Mundo Hispanico Digital, all join us today. Um, uh, Edward, since we lost you for a minute, let me give you the first crack at this next subject. Um, the, another story that persists in the headlines this week Uh, is the story about the fact that the CDC's moratorium on evictions finally expired at the end of last week, and now there are millions of people around the country, and perhaps as many as 300,000 plus in Georgia, who are vulnerable to being evicted from their apartments for non-payment of rent, according to uh, figures I've been reading, as of the end of July, only about 6% of some $700 million that Georgia and local governments had received in federal aid had gone out to households that are at risk of eviction. And and so there's m- lots of money sitting there that just hasn't been deployed. And so it's very difficult to get a handle on who takes responsibility for uh, this this problem we're facing. Edward, weigh in on this.
4: Well, it is a complicated problem in, in, in part because the folks who are usually the ones who are the most vulnerable to evictions and who are in the most need of the money are, often, are often also the ones who are the, the folks who are more often than not the hardest for a government to reach to to help them walk through the process. Uh, I've talked to several local officials about the problem, and um, and there is a lot of frustration, uh, both with, obviously, the folks who are facing possible eviction and fear on their part, but there's a lot of uh, frustration from a lot of activists and government officials on how to create the program uh, that will make it easier for folks to be able to apply for the money to, so that they can protect themselves from eviction. Perhaps the mayor might be able to sort of help on what is doing. Uh, I did talk to some folks, for instance, in DeKalb County, and they are seeing some uptick in in the responsiveness as they as they improve on their outreach to the most vulnerable people. But that's that. But, but you touched very much, Bill, on on the problem. There is money there uh, to protect these folks uh, in this uh, pandemic era, uh, but the problem is being able to connect uh, the money. Uh, to the individual who most needs it and help them jump through the, the, the hoops that exist uh, for them to be able to make the application and, quite frankly, to make it easier uh, for folks to do so. And what I mean by that is is cut out as many uh, hoops as possible so that we can get the money to folks as quickly as possible. Um, it's a very Mayor, complicated uh- problem.
1: I apologize, Edward. Uh, Mayor, uh, I think he makes a good point. Number one, the the application, people, uh, there are a lot of people who just plain don't know that they are eligible or could possibly be eligible for this assistance. And if they are, uh, I'm told that the forms that are required are fairly complicated. Tell me about what luck you've had. What percentage of the federal money that's come to Savannah for this or Chatham County for this? has already been used. You, have you had fairly uh, good success with this? Or are you all still struggling the way so much of the state is?
3: Well, we actually have. I mean, I think, uh, record will go back and show with our first round of CARES funding. Um, we allocated $3.1 million, I believe, to help with not only utility bills, but also with pass-through rent, mortgages, and so on. Uh, the county has now done that, and there's still money, I understand, on the table. Um, we need people, uh, obviously, to take advantage of the funds that are there. Um, I've also been kind of alerted lately of also the challenges of landlords. Um, so the fact is, is that if you are living in a place and you have not paid rent in over a year, and the man, the person's mortgage is still due, and they're not able to get the help to pay the mortgage, then the person loses the house, and then really the person loses where they live by the fact that the landlord could not hold on to the house. And so, you know, I, so it's, it's a balance between balancing mm. uh, the opportunity, the need for people to live in stable, supportive housing, but also the name, because again, a lot of these landlords are really mom and pop operations. You know, you have a single house, single house that you're paying a mortgage on that is still due and the mortgage assistance just has not been there. So uh, we've been, you know, we're challenged with that. Obviously, we looked uh, at being able to do something locally. We found out we're kind of prohibited um, by law from doing that. Um, but it, it's still a challenge. I mean, you know, I guess I don't know at what point does does it stop. So we're still uh, educating people. We're working with our United Way um, and a variety of uh, local pro- programs here that help people because um, they
1: obviously that's who people go to when it is. Yeah, Tamar, the mayor makes an awfully good point. Uh, And in fact, in DeKalb County, where we know this uh, chief superior court judge has uh, issued a a stay in allowing the um, uh, evictions to go forward, a temporary stay, um, the DeKalb County CEO, a frequent uh, panelist on our show, uh, said he understands just what Mayor Johnson says. He says in a quote, it will increase the financial burden and stress on landlords, especially mom and pop owners. And he is actually, at today's county commission meeting in Decab, going to uh, recommend that uh, the Decab Tenant Landlord Assistance Coalition be allowed to pay 100 percent of all past due rents up to 12 months and to increase future rent payments uh, to three months. So he's looking for a way to help landlords, which is the kind of thing that uh, uh, the mayor, Mayor Johnson, is talking about.
0: And let me apologize, because my uh, my line dropped while you were asking your question. But let me just, let's take a step back here and kind of paint the picture of where we are. You know, the Census Bureau is estimating that between 160,000 and 345,000 Georgians are very likely or somewhat likely to be evicted due to lack of payment. And that's something like more than one in every five renters in Georgia mm-hmm. um, who are behind on, on their rent payments. So this could be a potential disaster. Um, we're not really quite sure yet. And and sometimes these landlords are able to cut deals with their tenants. Um, sometimes tenants are able to borrow money or, or raise funds in other ways. And hopefully, as Ed mentions, there's there's ways to kind of work, you know, work with this program, cut down on some of the the red tape to get money in the folks of, of people's hands. But you know, this could be a disaster in the court system where eviction proceedings are are playing out on the local level. These landlords have to file suit against folks to get them evicted. And, you know, already these courts are behind due to COVID and not being able to do things in person for so long. And it seems like the political situation in Washington is at a complete standstill and, and, you know, kind of tearing apart the Democratic Party right now. So, it doesn't look like there are any easy answers at, at this juncture and some pretty heartbreaking stories in the meanwhile.
1: Yeah. Um, by the way, Mayor Jensen I want to get to you in a second, but I do want to make a point. Uh, I just, Emilia Brakcia sent me a note. Uh, Rene Alegria, the building he's in, the fire alarm just went off. He smells smoke, so he's... Left the building for the time being. Just in case anyone wonders if we're actually doing the show live on Tuesday morning, I guarantee you we are. So we're hoping the best for Renee, and maybe he'll be back with us, maybe not. Mayor Johnson, pick up on this.
3: Well, I also wanted to say
1: obviously this is happening at the worst possible time as schools
3: are back in session uh, across the state. And so for parents that are trying to get their kids in school, and we know that a home or a Um, a place where you live is crucial to where you go to school It is very disruptive to a family to have to be able to deal with that at this time. But on the other end of it, you know, as we've said, um, you know, the challenges on both sides.
1: Uh, Edward, uh, Tamar makes the point that Democrats are struggling with this and he, she is exactly right. As you know, Uh, there are progressive Democrats uh, who are saying to the president, uh, you need to do more to fix this. You have the power to extend an emergency order. Why aren't you doing it? The White House apparently is reluctant because there's so much money already available out there. They want to see it distributed. They're also worried about going to court on this, apparently, because they believe, they don't want to set a precedent that if the ruling went against them would uh, handcuff them in terms of future efforts they might – uh, make with executive orders. Uh, so it's interesting to see how Democrats are struggling with this issue.
4: Well, uh, the problem is, and, and Mayor Johnson uh, touched on it very well, in that uh, you know you continue this, this stay in evictions uh, for an extended period of time, it starts to have a direct impact on landlords' ability uh, to be able to pay their mortgages and to pay the upkeep of the property and all those other things. This is me just sort of trying to come up with a solution and, and sort of touch on what, what the CAB is doing, because they're doing their, their funding program through the, through the state courts, uh, is, is whether or not we can use the application, whether the, the filing of an eviction notice as a, as a first step toward getting the local government to be able to step in, going, okay, there's this, there's this uh, complaint seeking eviction, we've got money, let's connect the two together maybe that's a solution I'm just sort of thinking out loud here because you know I, I, in addition to the politics of the show we, we oftentimes like to discuss solutions and maybe that's the solution is trying to connect the landlord the tenant and the government who has funds to be able to uh, pay the rent together by using the state courts more broadly uh, you know decab is doing it but perhaps that's a that's a way to do it around the around the country because that's that, yes, yeah, as, as the mayor said a moment ago, that's the problem just simply extending uh, the stay is that you are having a very negative impact on the people who are providing the housing.
1: All right. Um, we will continue to follow this story in the days and weeks ahead, of course. And um, we really hope only the best for people who face eviction, uh, that some arrangement could be made to allow them to keep roofs. Over their heads. Um, We're going to take our final break of the show right now and come back with more on Political Rewind. Before we turn back to the panel, a quick program note. We've been talking a lot about the politics of the new surge in uh, COVID-19 cases in Georgia. And we'll continue, of course, to do that in the weeks ahead. But tomorrow we're going to turn to the science. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have a panel of distinguished public health experts uh, with us, Dr. Jody Guest and Dr. Benjamin Lottman from Emory University, Dr. Rodney Lynn from Georgia State, and the uh, health blogger Amber Schmidtke, who has done a lot of work digging into data and getting information out about the virus and how it is moving through the state. So that'll be Our show for tomorrow, The Science of COVID, and I hope answer a lot of the questions that you have about what the heck is happening and how you need to comport yourself uh, in the middle of this new surge. All right, let's get back uh, to the panel today. Tomorrow, let's, just for a minute, uh, let's talk about real electoral politics. Uh, There is a campaign underway for any number of offices uh, in the state. One of the unanswered questions we continue to ponder is will Herschel Walker Decide to jump in. Your colleague, Greg Blusny, has said repeatedly, absolutely, he's going to do that. But in the meantime, there are already three announced candidates for the job. One of them, the Agriculture Commissioner, Gary Black. Seen tomorrow as one of the nicest guys in Georgia politics by both sides of the equation. And tomorrow, I'm going to throw it to you, but first, Gary Black has now posted a digital ad, which, horror of horrors, the nice guy kind of in his own mild way. Attacks Herschel, let's listen. He's ready, I'm getting ready.
3: And we can
4: run with the big dogs. I'm ready, I've been ready and Herschel already run with the big dogs. And For fun, my ride's a tractor and I've had Georgia flights all my life. I'm Gary
2: Black, I'm running for the U.S. Senate.
1: I apologize for not setting that up very well. The first voice we hear is Herschel Walker saying, you know, I'm ready. He said that now. And then Gary Black coming back at him. tomorrow.
0: <laughs> it's the sort of ad where that's kind of meant a little bit more for political insiders. I think he's so nice. Um, yeah. Still, you know, he's not taking <laughs> as direct a hit against Herschel as, as he could have, but uh, but still. Um yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much harder he goes after Herschel in the future. As you mentioned, um kind of a beloved guy, very kind of folksy guy. You see him on his tractor. Um, riding around. Um, but he has hired a, a team of pretty sharp elbowed staffers, um, including many who are alums of Sonny Perdue's campaign, uh, Doug Collins's campaign. So it'll be interesting to see how far they push him in, towards of, um, you know, in, in terms of really hitting uh, fellow Republicans. Uh, and right now he still is the, the most highest profile Republican who's in the race. Everyone else is still kind of waiting on the sidelines, including uh, Buddy Carter down from the Savannah area before jumping in. So so Gary Black didn't wait, and he clearly isn't going to be wasting time.
1: Uh, Edward, I know as a Republican, you're going to want to get in here, but I have to go first to Mayor Johnson. And Mayor, you've got uh, your uh, native son, Raphael Warnock, defending his uh, seat in 2022. He's raised a ton of money, but how vulnerable is he in a state that continues to uh, be as much red, certainly more red than blue, I think it's fair to say, despite the 2020 election cycle.
3: Well, I think that obviously the numbers are the numbers. Um, I think that, you know, the entire nation is focused on Georgia uh, and the entire uh, Republican machine this face is faced is, is now going to be staring down Senator Warnock's neck. I think that uh, the work that he's done thus far, he has been responsive, he's been... Uh, intelligent on the issues, he's been um, he's delivered for us, um, and he has eloquently been able to espouse the views of everyday Georgians. And I think, hopefully, even for his detractors, that will will pan out well. Now, obviously, we recognize that money is important. But it's the votes of people, and so I think that he, as uh, a native son of Savannah and as a Georgian, that has made us proud. And I'm, I'm hoping um, that people will recognize that. In the end, it's it's not always about D's and R's. Sometimes it's just about good service being provided there. Edward,
4: well, on a, on a national level, uh, I think both uh, Democrats and Republicans recognize that Senator Warnock is the most vulnerable Democrat up in 2022. Simply dealing with the, the basic makeup of the state of Georgia, and I do expect there to be a, a very strong field uh, come uh, by Republicans for the primary. The question getting back to the original question regarding uh, Herschel Walker, uh, while he is part of the, the bulldog royalty and rightly so. I do also uh, suspect that his best day in a political campaign will be his first uh, and mm-hmm. that things will get a lot rougher for him after that time, uh, re- You know, starting with the fact that he hasn't even lived in Georgia for a long period of time. There are a lot of folks who have deeper connections uh, to the state, that are already in the race and are looking to get into the race. So uh I, I do question whether or not he it is in his best interest to get into this political race. Um and, and we'll just have to see. Uh but to tomorrow's point also, uh Gary Black, who is a who is an exceptional public servant and a and a very nice fellow, has hired some first class uh political consultants around him. Uh, dan, dan mcclacken who we all know is is one of them who is an absolute uh, genius when it comes to uh pushing his uh, candidates positions sometimes with some high elbows but he gets his points across and so uh and and so you know I, I expect a very very strong field and a very uh active primary campaign and then a very interesting uh election in november 22
1: yeah, Dan is pretty good. And you are right. He has some sharp elbows. We've uh, all, all of us in the media have crossed pads with him for a long time. Uh, so I, I think Gary Black has made a really strong choice in bringing him in. Tomorrow, weigh in.
0: Um, I mean, so so Ed has, you know, made the point that, Herschel Walker's best day on the campaign trail would be his first and that there are, you know, liabilities about him, especially having to do with a lot of issues uh, from his past. But let's talk about some of the pluses that he has. I mean, the first of all, he's Georgia royalty, uh, you know, playing for the University of Georgia on the football squad. Um you know, obviously he has sky-high name recognition. It will be very easy for him to to fundraise. But most importantly, he has um, you know, or he seems to have the the support of Donald Trump. And it seems like the the former president will, will do everything to help his ally succeed. And in the Republican field in Georgia right now, I think that is the best thing that you can have in the corner. Um, not impossible if you don't have that, but I still think that's the the best thing you could have. And so uh, that is very hard to ignore.
1: Mayor?
3: But at the end of the day, you have to articulate the issues. I mean, you could talk about the glory days of Georgia football and the New Jersey Generals and all those things, but at the end of the day, it's about the issues that people are facing in Georgia every single day. And when you get to talking about that and how money is prioritized and how it's spent and how the rural issues of, of rural Georgia compared to the issues of metropolitan Georgia, um, in the end, the Senate candidate is going to have to be able to uh, answer some very, very hard questions. And so at some point, the, the shine of Georgia royalty in terms of football kind of rubs off when you have to be able to articulate why you want to do this.
4: Well, someone make a note because um, Mayor Johnson and I agree uh, <laughs> on, on on that on that point. Because at, 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 at the end of the day, you've got to step in front of the cameras and uh, and articulate your vision uh, in terms of policy. And uh, whoever uh, gets gets the nomination for the Republicans have got to be able to do that. Uh, I have, you know, I may be on the other side of the political aisle, but I have an enormous amount of respect for, for Senator Warnock. Uh, and he's going to be articulating his vision of this state and whoever the Republican nominee needs to be able to, to do to do so as well. And 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 I expect Republicans will probably lean that way in the long run. Uh, and in terms of bulldog royalty, I, I do remember, for instance, Vince Dooley was tempted at one point to run for governor, but he quite rightly uh, looked at the situation and realized that, hey, you know, maybe maybe I may be really good on the football field and really well respected there. But it might not be such a good thing for me to try to switch over uh, to the politics side.
1: So we'll, we'll just have. To I, I remember the waiting game for Vince Dooley back in the mid 80s. Very, very well, uh, Mr. Lindsay. Hey, I want to um, mayor to everybody, really. Uh, but we're short on time. But a story just broke. New York Times just reported something, Mayor, that I think you'll be particularly interested in. Let me read the lead to you. And again, this is during our live show at 9 a.m. Mayor Bill de Blasio plans to announce Tuesday morning that New York City will require proof of vaccination for people participating in indoor activities, including restaurants, gyms, and performances. His latest attempt to spur more vaccinations, according to to city officials mayor that is a big and bold step it is I was in I'm, I'm from
3: Brooklyn uh, I was in New York over the weekend um, obviously their numbers are going up and uh, so they're very very concerned and you know again New York knows uh, what the real cost of this was I mean I've lost family members most people they have known people who have so uh, again you know big bold moves
1: for, for, for bold times Yeah, I mentioned on the show yesterday, Janice, uh, my wife and I were in New York over the weekend, too. We ate in some of New York's finest dining sheds out on the street while we were there. And when we went to see tomorrow my daughter's off-Broadway play, we were required to show proof of a vaccination before entering the theater. We had to be masked for the entire uh, performance. And now that's going to be true of the unions. The theatrical unions in New York are going to enforce that same protocol for broadway shows when they begin opening so maybe tomorrow it's gonna be interesting to see how all this trickles down to us here in georgia
0: i wonder though in in conservative states that have been really um behind when it comes to vaccinations i don't think this mandate style uh directive is is uh going to be very popular we've seen what brian kemp has said no new mask mandates nothing like that. And I don't see his opinion changing, especially as we start staring down the election season.
1: Edward?
2: Uh,
4: I, I, I doubt we'll get to any kind of mandates on a, on a public level, but we'll see. You know, I do believe that regarding the various demographic groups, to get back to something I was trying to say before my phone died on us, was we need to have more Republicans, including the former president, step out and push their uh, base to, to get vaccinated. We need folks in the various other demographic challenging demographic groups, uh, to do so as well. And that's going to be ultimately how we get things done for people, people that folks trust to be, to tell them, get
1: damn it, get vaccinated. I think that's going to be extremely important for us to turn the corner. Edward Lindsay with a new bumper sticker. Damn it, get vaccinated. You could make some money selling that one. (laughs) Edward Lindsay, we're out of time. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Tamar Hallerman, uh, really always glad to have you as my partner on Tuesdays. And Mayor Van Johnson, uh, thank you uh, for being with us. Good luck. As you move forward in Savannah dealing with vaccine, uh, dealing with the rental issue, and uh, you've got a big infrastructure, uh, Bill, you're watching closely. We didn't get a chance to talk about it today, but we'll invite you back as that bill moves forward. So that's it for us today on Political Rewind. Back again tomorrow to talk with a panel of public health experts about the virus. In the meantime, I'm Bill Niga, Take care. Stay safe. Please, please wear a mask indoors these days. And finally, I think you're probably all vaccinated, but if you're not, go out and get one. You can get it today, and it's free. See you all tomorrow.